Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. Now we are all that remains, though we are always looking for men and women capable of restoring what has been lost. In return, we offer this, our refuge from the world above. Please take your time and look around. Our assets have made great efforts to restore this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Welcome back, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. Not since the Scorch poured forth from the Cranberry Bog has Appalachia faced a threat as terrible as the Super Mutants, who have overrun most of the Savage Divide. The New Enclave suffered a serious defeat at the Battle of Emmett Mountain, and the survivors have been forced to flee, scattered to the four winds. Worse, Modus has taken steps to protect himself, not from the Super Mutants, but from human failings and weaknesses utilizing nightmarish technology and data collected from Project Somnus and Commander Sophia Daguerre's deep sleep program. Traitor Red survived her ordeal in the mire, only to find herself altered, both a blessing and a curse, and ponders what her future may hold. And as Appalachia fractures, dark forces hidden away below our very feet are emerging into the light. They have their own plans for the world above. Plans, if allowed to succeed, will forever alter the course of humanity. Okay, Val. It's time to go to sleep. You have more training tomorrow. I know, sir. But could you tell me one more story, please? All right. Just one more. Anything, uh, in particular? Can you tell me a story about what not to do? How not to make mistakes? Everyone makes mistakes, Val. Even me. And your mother. Sir... I find that hard to believe. It's true. But the important thing is to learn from your mistakes. Just like in your training. You don't make the same mistake twice, do you? I try not to, sir. That's why we keep encouraging you. And if you can learn from other people's mistakes, that's even better. So, you wanted a story? Yes, sir. Have you studied the Korean War in school yet? Not yet, sir. Well, let me tell you a little story about a place called the Chosin Reservoir. See, we'd kicked the communists out of South Korea, had them running scared, all the way up to the Yalu River. Everyone was talking about the war being over and the boys coming home by Christmas. So we won, right, sir? That's what we thought. But the commies had other ideas. See, they knew we'd spread ourselves thin, chasing the last remnants of the North Korean army into the hills. And that's where the U.S. Marines ended up, at Chosen, thinking the war was over and done with. It wasn't, sir? It was a trap. Nearly 200,000 Chinese troops were waiting for those Marines, and they walked right into it. Oh, no. Did they all die? It was a hard fight, but no one does it like the U.S. Marines. They held their own against nearly impossible odds, turned around and found a way out of that trap like the good soldiers they were. Well, 
I don't know how many commies they killed, but it was a lot. And they managed to get to safety. But there is a valuable lesson here, Val. See, we got careless, and getting careless will get you killed. Just when you think you've defeated your enemy is when they are most dangerous. And if it looks like a trap, or feels like a trap, then it's a trap. I'll remember that, sir. Good. Now, uh, get to sleep. I love you, Val. I love you too, sir. The sound of shuffling mole miners snapped Valeria back to reality. She had forgotten her father's words from all those years ago, and it had nearly cost her everything. Slowly, Valeria's eyesight adjusted to the darkness inside the cave. Her mind was a muddle of thoughts and feelings as she followed Lawson deeper into the depths of Appalachia, along with the others. The mole miners, once considered a nuisance, led them ever downward, speaking to each other in the muffled gibberish that constituted their language. The air became thicker and more accurate the further they proceeded. Entering a large chamber, Lawson held up his hand and went over to a series of old rusted lockers. You'll need gas masks for the rest of the way. It's just not safe for normal folks. Where are we going, Lawson? Like I said, Colonel, there's someone you really need to talk to. Valeria frowned. She had so many questions, but no answers. Instead, she took the proffered gas mask and slipped it over her face, as did the others, except for Graham, who didn't seem to mind the changing atmosphere one bit anyway. Instead, he spent his time leading Charlie, his Brahmin, after the humans and down into a new series of tunnels. Well, ain't this some shit? Isn't that my line? Fuck you, bitter. <laughs> you still owe me a heap of cap, Sullivan. Don't think you're getting off easy. The group continued to follow Lawson and the mole miners, passing various side tunnels and alcoves, adorned with relics from the world above, full of scrap and trinkets, and obvious dwelling areas with makeshift furniture. The lights running the length of the ceilings cast a dim glow and created deep shadows, though Valeria couldn't tell where the power might be coming from. Other mole miners passed the group, seemingly paying them no mind, chatting back and forth with each other as they shuffled along. Colonel, I don't like this. I don't either, Sergeant. But if they wanted to kill us, they could have done so already. They don't want to hurt anyone, Colonel. You tell that to the settlers at Welch. It's not what you think, Sergeant. But I promise it'll all make sense, or at least as much sense as anything does around here, when you've had a chance to talk to him. I hope so, Lawson. Continuing down, they finally came to a ledge overlooking a large cavern. Spread out before them along the cave floor was an entire Mulminer settlement. Dozens of mole miners could be seen walking the streets between ranshackle buildings, some of which appeared to be homes, but others were workshops, and even some kind of power plant, spewing steam into the air. Well, doesn't that beat all? Huh, who would have thought? <laughs> Look like great place to trade! Wish I'd known sooner! All of this? Right under our feet? This is incredible! This is just one of their settlements. I've seen a few others, but supposedly they have an honest-to-goodness city south of here. They built all of this? It's a long story, Colonel, but when the bombs dropped, hundreds of miners grabbed their families and took them into the mines to get away from the fallout and the chaos. They've been in here ever since. And this is what they became? In a way, but they had help. And that's why you need to hear what's been going on and stop it before it's too late. It sounds like the plot from one of your Unstoppables comics, Lawson. 
You're not too far off the truth, Colonel. Please, just listen to what he has to say. I'll listen to this mystery man of yours, Private, but after the defeat we just suffered, I don't know if we'll be in any position to help, and we have to get back to the White Spring as soon as possible. Lawson gave the Colonel a nod and led them down into the Mole Miner settlement. Once again, the shuffling figures seemed to pay them no mind, just going on about their business as the group ended up in front of a large building at the end of a dusty street. He's waiting for you inside, Colonel. You shouldn't go in there alone. She'll be fine, Sergeant. I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for him. Sergeant, just keep an eye on everyone. I can handle myself. The Sergeant didn't look happy, but he knew better than to try to change the Colonel's mind. That didn't mean he wasn't going to let his guard down, and if he thought anything was happening that shouldn't be, he'd be the first through the door. Valeria checked her sidearm and slid the pistol back into her holster before walking slowly up the steps to the front door and entering the building. When she shut the door behind her, Valeria found herself standing in between two small pylons. She heard a slight hum, and all the hairs on her head and arms stood up, followed by the pain of an electric shock. Ow! I'm sorry, my dear. My deionizer can be a little... Painful. I'm going to need more details than that, right now. Valeria's hand hovered above her holster, but the pain had been brief, and she didn't draw. Yet. She looked up to find an old man wearing one of the mole miner cloaks standing in the far doorway, his finger on a switch. A deionizer. A necessary evil down in the tunnels. It counters the effects of the background radiation and the ultrasight exposure. You won't need your mask in here. The atmosphere is perfectly safe. Valeria hesitated for a moment, then lifted her gas mask. The air had a slight touch of ozone in it, but otherwise, it smelled, well, like nothing at all. But I've been rude and not introduced myself. I'm Frederick Rivers, and I believe you are Colonel Valeria Faustina. Are you not? I am. Young Mr. Lawson speaks highly of you. I almost feel like I know you. Private, Lawson. And while I appreciate the compliments, Mr. Rivers, you have me at a disadvantage. I don't know who you are or why you've brought us here. Of course, my apologies. He is a credit to what you have accomplished. And please, just call me Frederick. I had hoped we could meet under better circumstances. I promise I'll explain everything. And if you just follow me... I'll get you both some tea, and we can talk. Frederick turned and motioned for Valeria to follow. As frustrated as she might have been, she was curious, so the colonel walked behind the old man and into what could have passed for a pre-war living room, with bookshelves crammed with books and magazines, tables, chairs, and two couches, with a workbench in one corner, covered in different kinds of strange devices. Take a seat. I'll be right back. The tea should be just about done. Valeria sat down on the couch, resting her arm in the armrest while keeping the other close to her pistol, while the old man disappeared into the next room. She scanned the bookshelves, which had been filled with old classics, from the Iliad to the Odyssey, the complete works of Shakespeare, to a multiple of technical journals from everything from electrical engineering to quantum mechanics. On one wall was a portrait of a middle-aged woman wearing a black and green dress, with a regal look on her face. Frederick returned, carrying the tea in two antique porcelain cups, he handed one to Valeria before sitting down in an old easy chair, placing his tea on the side table. I hope you like it. It was a favorite of my wife's. Just a hint of sugar and a splash of Brahmin milk. Valeria sniffed the tea and was surprised at how good it smelled. She had rarely indulged. 
coffee was a much more efficient caffeine delivery system back at the White Spring. But she took a sip, and it brought a small smile to her face. I'll take that as a yes, and I appreciate your patience. From what Lawson tells us, you do like to get down to business. Valeria sipped her tea and nodded. There's so much to tell. But I'll start with the most important bit of information. Those super mutants, the ones you fought, not only have been genetically modified, but they're being used as a weapon by someone much more dangerous. What do you mean? Someone else? They call themselves the Pack Colonel. Scientists, soldiers, politicians, not just from here, but everywhere. In the chaos after the bombs dropped, they took in survivors from West Tech, Arctos Pharma, and Robco, along with people with important skills and influence, the whole time expanding and experimenting. My friends, these mole miners, they were the first victims. The pack appeared to them as saviors, only to imprison as many as they could get their hands on and then subject them to some kind of different mutagenic compounds. It had compounded the exposure to the various forms of radiation was already doing to their bodies, to the point where they could never return to the surface without their breathing apparatus. My God. They were used to manual labor, slaves in all but name. After a few years of this abuse, they staged their own rebellion. I have been told that it was very bloody and many were killed. But a number of them were able to escape, to find new tunnels and hide away. That didn't keep the pack from trying to find them, however, and it soon turned into a vicious little war here underground. But why are they hostile to the people on the surface? You are aware of the labor unrest that occurred in Appalachia before the war, are you not? Of course. The communist infiltration and anti-war propaganda led to riots. That's what they wanted you to think. That's what they wanted all of us to think. I myself was inclined to believe what I was told, but I have since learned it was all lies. The rampant automation, dangerous working conditions, and hazardous disposal of toxic waste, it was all leading us to ruin. And for the workers who experienced it firsthand, of course they would decide to take matters into their own hands. Now imagine the same executives and managers who did this to them before the war ended up enslaving them again after the war. The same people? The Garahans, Hornwrights, and the others. They didn't die with the bombs, Colonel. Nor did they fade away. In fact, they were part of the same conspiracy that led us here. My friends learned to fear all outsiders. And when the new settlers came to take what they knew was rightfully theirs, well, unfortunately, it resulted in more violence. I've spent years helping them, trying to rebuild some measure of trust so we could reconnect with the surface world to warn you all what was happening, but it wasn't easy. Just who are you? Your name sounds familiar, but... The old man sighed and sat back in his chair. The lines on his face seemed to deepen, and he closed his eyes, casting his thoughts back to those many years ago, to the days at Riverside Manor. I suspect Private Lawson might have mentioned my wife a time or two during his time at the White Springs. He admits to being quite a fan of the old comic books. Wait, Rivers, your wife was Shannon Rivers, the actress who played the Mistress of Mysteries? Were you a fan, Colonel? No, I, well, they used to play the old serials at night in the vault. I might have listened to 
a few of them. My wife, rest her soul, tried to be the hero that Appalachia needed after the bombs. For a while, she was the mistress of mystery. She and our girls, but it never works out the way it does in the comics, does it? Valeria felt the weight of those words rest on her own shoulders. No. No, it doesn't. We were betrayed and lost everything. I don't know why my friends pulled my broken body from the Riverside Manor and nursed me back to health, but I've taken it as a second chance to make up for the mistakes of the past. A wave of weary despair rose up in Valeria's throat, but she tried to keep a tight hold on her emotions. The stress and exhaustion was taking its toll, but she couldn't allow herself to lose control, not when her people needed her most. It's not that I don't believe you, Mr. Rivers. Frederick, please. Frederick. This is quite a lot to take in. Part of me is still convinced that all of this is some kind of weird hallucination, while the rest of me is trying to understand how so much could be happening that we aren't aware of. You're saying that a secret society has existed underneath Appalachia since the war, yet we've seen no evidence of them? I know how it must sound. I don't expect you to just take my word for it, so I have something to show you. A sample of what the Pact has planned. Not just for Appalachia, for I fear their evil intentions extend far beyond as well. Frederick rose from his chair and walked over to Valeria, extending his hand. The colonel wasn't particularly inclined towards handholding, but prided herself on being a shrewd judge of character, and could see that courtesy and old-fashioned manners were a coping mechanism for the man. After a moment, she stood up, carefully setting the teacup aside, and took the offered hand, allowing herself to be led towards the rear of the building. As they proceeded through the space, Valeria could see more of what could only be described as gizmo and doodads in popular parlance, items that looked like stylized weapons straight out of the comic books, along with a host of electronic devices and half-assembled terminals. I don't think I've ever seen anything like those before. I've always had a way with technology. In fact, your artificial eye might have just come from one of my side projects with DARPA before the war. This might be yours? A derivation, perhaps. I often wondered how we could be so advanced, yet foolishly allow ourselves to almost destroy the whole world with our hubris. Frederick led Valeria to a rear door. It was made of solid steel with frost covering the frame. This is one of my storage rooms. It's designed to hold biological specimens. The Pact has been sending mutated monstrosities after my friends and I for years. Perhaps you've even encountered some of them above ground as well. However, they are merely the tip of the iceberg. Frederick pressed a red button next to the door, which revealed a biometric hand scanner. He placed his hand on the pad, and Valeria watched as the light turned green. The door groaned as it opened. The colonel was impressed to see that it was at least five inches thick, much more like a vault door than one would find normally. Just a precaution. Our samples are for the most part dead by the time they are brought here. However, one can never be entirely sure with mutations. A blast of frigid air hit the colonel in the face, raising goosebumps along her arms. Frederick tightened his cloak and stepped inside. As the colonel followed, she found herself in what looked like a large meat locker with frosted cylinders along one wall, each of them occupied by a mutated creature. Others were hung up on hooks along the opposite wall, while there were several tables, each one covered by a cloth. As I stated, my particular skills revolve around the application of exotic technologies. But you could say I've gotten a crash course in molecular biology, virology, and mutagenic research. These are just a few of the ones I've been able to study. 
Valeria walked around the room. While she recognized some of the specimens as cryptids her teams had encountered in the field, others were completely unknown to her. She went up to one of the cylinders and wiped away the accumulated frost, only to jump back with a start, hand instinctively dropping to her pistol when she found herself face to face with a glowing wendigo. Ah, that's a scary one. This is a wendigo. Indeed, very nasty and difficult to kill. Despite their emaciated appearance, Private Lawson mentioned you had an encounter of your own with one. Valeria brought her hand up to the side of her face, touching the scars there. Twice. The first time caused these, and the second, well, I was much better prepared. This is quite an accomplishment. We still aren't sure exactly what causes this particular mutation, although we have our suspicions. However, these are not why I brought you here. The pact is working on something far more sinister. Frederick strode over to one of the tables, covered in a large white sheet. The fabric was stained with a mix of green and yellow fluids, and the body underneath was large, maybe nine or ten feet long by the looks of it. Several years ago, we uncovered a new project the Pact had dedicated their resources to. Beyond simple mutations and experiments with the forced evolutionary virus, this represented a threat the likes of which we could barely conceive. The old man pulled the sheet from the table, revealing the partially dissected body. Oh my god. It's called Project Oni. This is merely an early version of what they intend for all of us. And those super mutants you faced above are just a stepping stone towards their larger goal. This is why I brought you here. Because without your help, this may as well be the end of humanity as we know it. How bad is it, Scribe? Well, Paladin, it could be worse. Worse how, exactly? It's still standing, right? Mm, Not your best effort, Odessa. Sorry, it's just been a long day and I thought some levity would help. No, no, it's okay. It's not just been a long day, but a long walk from Lost Hills for all of us. Just seeing the state of the country... The job we have ahead of us, it does seem overwhelming. That said, I suspect morale will benefit from more focusing on the task at hand. Of course, Paladin. So, back to Fort Atlas. Will it suffice? Eventually, yes. The Initiates are already at work on repairing some of the basic structural deficiencies, including filling in a large hole in the rear of the structure. The equipment and supplies we brought with us have been fully offloaded and stored, and the armory is up and running. Excellent. Knight Shin will be happy about that. Speaking of the knight, Paladin, wasn't he supposed to rendezvous with us by now? I knew it was a bad idea to let him take that detour. Despite the radio interference, he did signal that he was on his way here. I'd expect him any time now. I'd feel a lot better with him here. The locals we've been able to interview are running scared. More reports of what they call super mutants? All of the details are matching up. 
Unfortunately, with the continued radio interference, it's impossible to confirm without sending out our own recon parties. And that I cannot recommend. Not until we're secure here. Damn. This was not what I expected at all. Not based on our original orders. Re-establishing ourselves here when the whole region is in an uproar is going to make things a lot more difficult. I might have some ideas to deal with the electrical interference. And we did find something interesting in the observatory basement. But ten-foot-tall green mutant humanoid monsters? That's a bit outside my area of expertise. The two Brotherhood members were interrupted when Felton Reed, a local who'd lucked into communicating with the expedition as it crossed the Mississippi River, and was currently viewed as both a blessing and a curse, came running up, carrying a pair of binoculars. Brotherhood of Steel had had next to no information about what was happening in Appalachia, except for the apocalyptic last messages shared between scribe Grant McNamara and Lost Hills about the Scorch Plague. Elder Maxim had finally convinced the other leaders of the Brotherhood to send a reconnaissance force to determine what had happened to Paladin Integrity and her men, and determine if the Scorch were still a threat. At least that's what the official orders had said. During the trip across the Broken Nation, the force had lost contact with Brotherhood Command, but that had been expected. They had contingency plans to find a long-range transmitter in Appalachia, and Scribe Valdez suspected they might even find one in the very Atlas Observatory they intended to convert to their new home. Paladin! Scribe! Night Shin is here, and he's got civilians with him. Civilians? That doesn't sound like Danny. What was that, Paladin? Nothing, Initiate. Let Night Shin know he's late, and I expect a full report. Uh, uh of course, Paladin. Paladin Romani sighed softly as Felton Reed saluted awkwardly and ran off towards the gate, while Scribe Valdez could barely stifle a laugh. Of all the people we could have connected with here in Appalachia, why on earth did it have to be him? Look at it this way, Paladin. He's eager, at least. Well, if we're going to succeed here, we're going to need a lot more than just Mr. Reed. I knew there'd be challenges, but I definitely didn't expect that walking across the entire country would be the easiest part of our mission. A cloud descended across the Paladin's face as she took in the vista before her. The mountains and valleys of Appalachia were far from the welcoming landscape she had expected, even after speaking with Scribe Takano and the threat of the Scorched, and it was their initial contact with Felton Reed that confirmed the Scorched threat had been defeated, though the details left a lot to be desired. However, now they were flying blind. At least the Scorched were a known threat. These super mutants were something else entirely. The Paladin's thoughts were interrupted by the sound of multiple suits of power armor pounding their way past the newly erected barricades and into the main compound. Shin does like to make an entrance, doesn't he? I'm more interested in his detour. Why did he need to split off from us again? Orders from Elder Maxon. He wanted Shin to check on an old military site to the north. Though, in hindsight, I should have told him to wait until we got established here. Knight Shin led his company of Brotherhood soldiers into the courtyard. Their power armor gleamed in the afternoon Appalachian sun. The paladin sighed again. She wished the knight would have put half as much effort into his attitude as he did in the condition of his armor. To say that he was abrasive was like saying sandpaper was merely itchy. Romani strode down and ended up in front of the knight, who delivered a parade-worthy Brotherhood salute before removing his helmet. Paladin? Knight Shin, you're late. The Initiate already delivered that message, Paladin. And while I do apologize, per the Elder's orders, our detour was necessary. And are you prepared to deliver a report on your detour, Night Shin? Of course. Our excursion was uneventful and 
unrewarding. However, we have more urgent matters to discuss. Or more correctly, our guests do. Guests? Knight Shin turned and waved. A small group of what appeared to be civilians, some bandaged and wounded, walked in, escorted by Shin's medic. We ran across them north of here, outside of an old fault tech construction site. They claim to have been attacked by what they call super mutants while investigating the vault. I'm not entirely sure I believe them, but combined with other reports we've collected along the way, they may have information we can use. Alan and Romani looked over the civilians. There were four of them, an older woman being helped by a younger man, another man wearing torn army fatigues, and a young woman wearing... Is that a Chinese stealth suit, Knight? It is, Paladin. It appears to be non-functional at the moment. The young woman said it had been damaged. Still, we should confiscate it at the earliest opportunity. Let me hear their story first. Then we can decide what to do with any technology they have in their possession. Who exactly are they, and where are they from? The older woman claims to be the overseer from Vault 76. 76? Yes, Paladin. The young man is with her, while the others claim to be from a settlement to the south, called Foundation. Paladin, that's on the list of places with reported super mutant attacks. Well then, we can get them inside and start the interrogations. Night Shin, we will do no such thing. Not only are they wounded, but I don't intend to start my relationship with the people of Appalachia by manhandling them like prisoners. Scribe Valdez, please see that our guests are made as comfortable as possible, and then we'll talk to them together. Do you understand? Of course, Paladin. And you, Knight? Yes, Paladin. I'll leave them to you. It's been a very long day, and I'd like my men to get settled. I will prepare my report and have it for you this evening. Shin, I'm sure they will be happy to speak now that they are safe and know that we have nothing but the best of intentions for Appalachia. Knight Shin grimaced. When he found the group, they'd been tight-lipped except for repeating the same story about getting attacked by super mutants while exploring a nearby vault. If they hadn't already been behind schedule, Shin might have tried to persuade them himself, but given what had happened in the mire, he needed to get back to Atlas. He'd let the paladin question the civilians. It was far more important to find a way to contact Elder Maxon and inform him that they hadn't been able to destroy all of the Mariposa samples. Worse, they lost the samples to an unknown party, and Shin had no idea who they were or even how to find them. Very good, Shin. While Fort Atlas hasn't quite lived up to its name yet, I'm sure it will soon. Ad Victorium, Knight. Ad Victorium, Paladin. Knight Shin motioned to his soldiers, and they stomped off towards the interior of the observatory, leaving the civilians under the care of Scribe Valdez and the medical team. Romani watched Shin leave, then walked over to where the scribe was having a fairly energetic conversation with a young man. You don't understand. We barely made it out alive, and we lost a lot of good people. And now you're telling me that the whole region is under attack? Sir? Day. The name's Day. Day. We just got here ourselves. Without radio communication, we don't know much about what is going on beyond what some of the locals have told us. Now, if you'd let us treat you and your friends... This is a waste of time. Day, that's enough. This is not how we treat newcomers to Appalachia. Sorry, Overseer. I'm just... I know, Day, I know. I'm sorry, Miss... It's Scribe, ma'am. Scribe Odessa Valdez. Scribe Valdez. Well, I am the Overseer from Vault 76. Please forgive us. The last few days have been very hard for all of us. 
You certainly look like you've been through the ringer, but you're all safe now. The paladin would like to speak with you a bit later, but first we need to make sure you're okay, give you the opportunity to get some rest, and then we can talk. Excuse me, scribe. Are our guests well? Oh, paladin. Understandably shaken up, but nothing a bit of time in the medbay won't fix. I know we'll all have the opportunity to get to know each other better, but I did want to introduce myself. I am Paladin Romani, Brotherhood of Steel Expeditionary Force. It's good to meet you, Paladin. Something terrible is happening here in Appalachia. I fear these super mutants are just the tip of the iceberg. I need to warn you about the White Spring. Overseer, I don't think that... Day, I know she's responsible for this. She must be. I want nothing more than to hear everything you have to say, but let's get you settled first. I have other matters to attend to, but the scribe will make you comfortable. Then we can talk over dinner. The overseer frowned, but nodded as the medic swooped in while the paladin turned and walked back into the observatory. Day could barely contain his frustration and waited until the scribe was busy speaking to Radcliffe and Jen before stepping close to the overseer, leaning in to speak. Overseer, with all due respect, Valeria didn't do this. This isn't the White Springs doing. You don't know that. And neither do you. But this feels wrong. All wrong. We shouldn't have lied. Vault 79 is empty. The gold is gone. And our people, they died back there. We need allies, Day. I don't know why these folks walked all the way here from California. However, if we can use them... Use them? Overseer, I... This... This isn't what I signed up for. We're supposed to be different. Maybe if we had just killed Valeria when we had the chance. Day sighed and closed his eyes as the Overseer continued to rail against Colonel Valeria and the White Spring. After the horrors of Vault 79, Day's perspective had changed. Whatever threat the Colonel had posed took a back seat to an army of supermutants trying to eat them. Perhaps he could reason with the Overseer. Day? Sorry. What did you say, Scribe? You've gotten the all-clear from the medics. We have some beds set up inside where you can rest. The paladin will speak to you in a couple of hours. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. The motley crew of survivors from the Vault 79 massacre gathered their belongings and followed the scribe into Fort Atlas. As they entered through the double doors, Day took one last look over his shoulder at the peaks of Appalachia and could swear he heard the distant howl of a mutant hound, sending a cold chill down his spine. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now.
whether they want to just spread a little chaos, this might not have been what he meant. I know, I know, sure. Those no good lazy ass raider wannabes are all dead and good riddance too. Old David would have skinned them alive years ago, but what fun are a bunch of super mutants? No, I don't know where they came from, and I don't think they're in the mood to answer questions either. Did you see what they did to the vendor protectrons? I don't think I've ever heard one of those old bots scream until now. And here, I was thinking I was crazy. I'm not going down there to talk to them, and I sure as hell ain't inviting them upstairs. So far, they don't seem to get a rat's ass about the tower, and I want to keep it that way. And the radio is still being jammed, so we can't call for help. Yes, I said help. You know how much that hurts me, don't you? But it ain't no fun if all the real raiders, or everybody gets eaten by the big green guys. And how can I annoy people if I can't even get the radio to work? What was that spike? The uplink? Oh yeah! That stupid thing Madigan brought up here. Oh, you did toss his corpse off the balcony, right Spike? That's a good boy. So yeah, that uplink. Wonder if it might help break through the interference. Maybe we can find out just what's going on around here and see if we can't scare up some suckers to clear out the resort. Then we can get back to causing our kind of trouble. <laughs> You know, that reminds me. I wonder if Duplica managed to tell anyone about our visitors. Not that we can check. Based on what's happened, she's probably mutant Chow. Oh well, now I just have to remember where I put that stupid thing. You sure the rest of those super mutants are dead? Wasn't easy, but yeah, we got them. Just where the fuck did they come from? Right up out of the goddamn ground. I figured our goose was cooked when that big one showed up. Fucking Johnny. Yeah. Sorry about that, Meg. It's... okay. He always did want to go out with a bang. I just don't think he figured it would be on the receiving end of a telephone pole. We're still getting everyone organized. Figure out how many we lost. Rara and Gale are okay. Don't get between Gale and that kid. Words to live by. Lev is dead, along with most of his crew. Found some pretty interesting shit in his quarters. Looks like he was planning on killing you, Meg. Couldn't have happened to a better asshole. Well, shit. Radio's still out? Damnedest thing, just static up and down the dial. Nothing beyond a half mile. 
Ren's doing everything she can, but nothing's working. Can't contact anyone, anywhere. Tell her to keep trying. Somebody's gotta know what's going on and where the hell those super mutants came from. Hmm. How long would it take to get a crew down to Vault Town? Vault Town? You heard me. If anyone knows anything, they'd be the one. And, uh, other friends? The resort? Too far south. But I know they have people at Vault Town. Kill two birds with one bullet, right? Alright. Tell Weasel and her guys to get ready to move out. Tell them I expect them not to get eaten along the way. Hmm. Gotcha, Meg. No problem. Good. Now, let's see about sorting this shit out. Get rid of these goddamn bodies. Start acting like the raiders we are again. Got it? Meg watched Roxy head back into Crater while she surveyed the surroundings. They'd lucked out when they'd stumbled on the old crash space station when the gang returned to Appalachia. Over the past couple of years, it had become their new home and a thriving community. And while they still might be raiders, deep down, a lot of them had put down roots and were happy to earn at least somewhat of an honest living. While they weren't happy to share Appalachia with the newcomers, even Meg saw the advantages of relationships with the other factions in the region. The settlers at Foundation were a pain in the ass, with their ingrained hatred of anything that even smelled of raider. But the folks at the resort were something else. When Meg had first met Eugenie's traveling companion, she'd known the woman was more than she appeared. And damn if Meg hadn't been right. Valerio, or the Colonel as everyone else called her, was a damn fine negotiator and an even better fighter. It hadn't taken long for Meg to cut a deal with her. Brokered through Eugenie, of course. They make a damn cute couple, too. But now she had some decisions to make. Not that she ever shied away from making the tough calls. That's how she kept the game together after Margie offed herself all those years ago. But these super mutants were no joke. It had been a damn good thing she'd been stockpiling those heavy weapons and explosives. But they'd lost a lot of people both good and bad, before it was over. But it ain't over, is it? Meg's eyes turned towards the burnt and blasted body of the enormous mutant monster they killed, the same one that had stomped Johnny into paste. Fuck. Hate to admit it, but I'd pay good caps for David Thorpe right now. He may have been an asshole, but damn if he couldn't get a bunch of anarchist raiders organized and pointed in the right direction. If wishes were Brahmin, Meg would have had all the old gangs back. But they were long dead and buried, right along with fucking David Thorpe and his cutthroats. That left the diehards, her gang, her family, and she wasn't going to back down or run away. Appalachia belonged to them, and she sure as shit wasn't going to let some goddamn super mutants run them off. Once she had a better handle on things, she'd get the others organized. If these mutants wanted war, she'd give them a war. And she still had a few cards hidden up her sleeve. A few secrets of her own from what had been left over from the old days. Meg took one last look across the toxic valley before turning and walking back towards Crater. It was going to be a long night, and she had plans to make. The sun had set over the Appalachian hills, leaving a growing darkness in its wake. Fires dotted the tops of the peaks of the Savage Divide to the east, an ominous sign of expanded supermutant activity, while to the west the landscape was dotted with the faint glow of settlements and camps, now standing mostly in isolation as the ever-present radio interference hampered communication between them. Stories of what was happening spread on the backs of caravans and refugees as they poured out of the Divide, 
seeking shelter from the growing super mutant threats. Tales of the destruction of Evan Mountain, the attack on Foundation and Crater, and the disappearance of the Overseer flew from mouth to ear and over and over, details changing over time until it was impossible to know exactly what was true and what was false. All anyone knew for sure was that the super mutants were coming, and there was precious little they could do to stop them. Near the old Uncanny Caverns tourist attraction, a lone figure slipped away from the small refugee camp and made their way across the parking lot and into the old gift shop. Rumors swirled that the caverns themselves were haunted, keeping all but the most courageous, or crazy, at a safe distance. Closing the door behind them, the figure gave a low whistle. When they received a whistle in return, the figure visibly relaxed before setting their pack on the floor and pulling out a small flashlight, illuminating the inside of the ramshackle building. What were you able to find out, Doctor? Please, just call me Naomi. Naomi it is. So, anything? Rumors? Really bad things going on in the Sabbath Divide. The White Spring is locked up tight. No one allowed in, and no one is coming out. I am so worried about Andrew. Who knows what Modus has done to him? Whatever it is, it can't be good. All of the references I found to those old government programs, Deep Sleep, Somnus, it all involved integrating the human mind. That other doctor... Emerson. Yeah, Emerson. He said he was trying to cure headaches, but that was obviously a lie. That procedure he's performing? It looks like he was extracting something from him. Extracting is a good word. Maybe the only good thing to come out of this. My headaches are gone. But that still doesn't get us any closer to what's happening. Or saving Andrew, either. True. However, I may have one lead for us to follow. What lead? Athena. Athena? Wait. That does sound familiar. When I was poking around before I found you, I discovered a report from Captain Thomas. While he was at Sugar Grove, an Assaultron walked into the facility and asked to see the local USSA representative. A USSA Assaultron? It showed up not long after your ship crashed, Sophia. Its designation was Athena, which just happens to have been referenced in your medical file as well. Perhaps an oversight by Modus, or that Dr. Emerson fellow. I wonder. Can we determine where this Athena is now? I suspect it's still at Sugar Grove. There is no record of any Assaultrons being moved into the resort. Though with whatever Modus was doing, maybe he could have kept it a secret, but I doubt it. Plus, it sounds like they don't need Athena anymore for what they were doing. Sugar Grove? That's in the Savage Divide, isn't it? What about all the super mutants? Now, this might sound crazy, but if Modus is sending people after us, it might be the safest place for us to be. Plus, maybe we can find the Colonel, too. She probably has no idea what Modus is up to, and if we can warn her, Modus can be stopped. Yes, Naomi. It does sound crazy. But I don't know what other choice we have. How would you plan on just the two of us getting all the way into the Divide? Well, that's where my plan gets a little bit crazier. Lilith. Major Lilith? At last report, she was down by Charleston. It's a bit of a detour, but if anyone can get this Divide and not give a rat's ass about super mutants, it's her. How do you plan to convince her to help us? I hear she's, well, batshit crazy. Once we tell her the Colonel might be in trouble, that should be enough to convince her. Plus, she'll probably think it's good fun. And I don't know if she ever liked Modus either. But, like you said, what other choice do we have? <sighs> no choice at all, really. But that doesn't mean we won't make it work. One way or the other, we're going to get back, and I'm going to save Andrew. I have no doubt, Sophia. After seeing what you did to Daniel, I think you're capable of anything. Thanks, Naomi. How far is it to Charleston from here? Not too far. Maybe a day's walk, if we're lucky. I think we're still safer traveling at night. Then what are we waiting for? We still have a few hours of night left. 
Let's make the most of it. All right, we can find a place to rest before sunrise. The two women packed up their belongings and walked out into the night, guided by the faint moonlight. As they passed the boarded-up entrance to the uncanny caverns, each could have sworn they heard a ghostly howl coming from the old cave. It was enough to send shivers down both their spines, and the two of them picked up their pace, wanting to put the eerie cavern far behind them. Not bad, Doctor. Not bad at all. Barely any sign of a camp. No trash. Tracks cleared away. You're not making this easy, are you? Good. It'll be that much better when I find you and the astronaut. You're going to wish you had killed me when you had the chance. Lieutenant Shadow finished his sweep of the uncanny caverns. His jaw still hurt, and he endured the pain as a constant reminder of his target and his failure. Now, where did you go, Doctor? East? South? Hmm. I bet you're looking for friends. Charleston. You're going to Charleston. Shadow rubbed the dirt and dust from his hands and smiled. Keep running, Doctor. It's been so long since I've had a real challenge. And I want to savor this. It's only a matter of time. I'll find you and I'll finish what I started. The big man slipped silently out of the gift shop, passing the bodies of the two traders, who were helpful enough to point Shadow in the direction of where the two women had last been seen. It never paid to leave loose ends. As Shadow disappeared into the trees, heading in the direction of the Golden Dome on top of the old Capitol building, he himself was being watched. Shh. We don't want old Shadow to hear us. At least, not yet. Let's see where he's going. Then we can... ask... him why. Lilith emerged out into the sunlight, followed by her two mutant hound pets. She snapped her fingers and the hounds padded over to the dead traitor bodies and started tearing into their flesh, swallowing large chunks. Now, now, girls. Make sure you save some for Mommy. Okay? She wasn't worried about tracking Shadow, despite how sneaky he thought he might be. Lilith could still smell him a mile away. Lilith's wounds had finally healed, but it did nothing to dampen the rage she felt inside. Whoever had attacked her at AVR Medical was still out there, and she was certain it hadn't been anyone from the Whitespring, which meant there was somebody else she was looking for. A mystery inside a mystery. So exciting! After borrowing some new clothes, Lilith had intended to return to the Whitespring, but the news of smart supermutants had tickled the back of Lilith's FEB-enhanced mind, and she wanted to do some digging of her own, thinking that everything might be connected. And if it led her to the people who killed Malgus and stole her research, then all the better. But first, Lilith wanted to find out what Shadow was doing. She never trusted the man. He always smelled funny. It didn't take a genius-level intellect to figure he was tracking someone. So she'd deal with Shadow, find Val, and get to the bottom of what happened at AVR Medical. There could only be one alpha predator in Appalachia, and Lilith was going to make sure that it was her. Step aside, girls. Mummy's hungry.
Stupid humans all run away! We told not to chase. Who say that? They say. Who they? Not know. Only know they say not chase. Ah, fine. Be still hungry. Go find food. Me come too. Maybe kill more humans later. If they say so. The two super mutants wandered back up the broken asphalt road and disappeared over the hill back in the direction of Huntersville. Lieutenant Jones, New Enclave Gamma team lead and provisional head of Foundation Security Force, lowered his binoculars and breathed a sigh of relief. Ugh, they're gone. Doesn't look like they intend to attack us again. Behind him, Lieutenant Cindy Connors breathed a sigh of relief of her own and lowered the rocket launcher she'd been holding on her shoulder, pointed at where the super mutants had just been standing. Not that I mind, but it doesn't make any sense. We barely stopped them the first time. I bet they could have rolled right over us if they wanted. I just don't know. But I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. A what now? A gift ho- Oh, never mind. Let's just get back. We can update Amanda and figure out what to do next. But the radios are still out, and we'll need to figure out some other way to contact the White Spring. I want to talk to the Colonel first. The shadow thing again? Yeah, I get it. It bothers me too. We have bigger fish to fry right now. We don't even know if the colonel is still alive. The last patrol I sent to look for survivors didn't find anything but more super mutants. Jones, we can't give up on her. She would never give up on us, and you know it. Cindy, I want to believe she's alive too. But we have civilians to protect. Right now, we need all the help we can get. Which means re-establishing communications with Modus. Cindy frowned and slung the rocket launcher over her shoulder. It wasn't that Jones was wrong. It was a nagging thought in the back of her head that something at the White Spring just wasn't quite right. The two new Enclave operatives left a couple of Foundation guards to watch the road while they walked back down the hill in the direction of the settlement. Since the initial attack, more refugees had gathered at Foundation, with more heading further south towards the Ashen to get away from the depredations of the Super Mutants. Jones had done everything he could to repair Foundation's defenses and keep the people safe, but he'd been at Edmund Mountain, and he'd seen what the Super Mutants were capable of. If they wanted to destroy the settlement on the top of Spruce Knob, there wasn't much that Jones could do to stop them. Jones! The lieutenant looked up and saw Amanda standing on the barricades, rifle in hand. The former raider, proprietor of the Spider's Web Bar and now provisional leader of Foundation, had surprised the hell out of Jones. She was a natural-born organizer and inspired confidence in those around her. Amanda had even called in her old crew from the bar to help, and now you could easily find raiders working side by side with the settlers. Everyone had something to lose now, and everything to gain by working together. Looks clear so far, Amanda. The mutants aren't moving towards us at all. Alright, meet me over at Sunny's. We gotta talk. You too, baby doll. Jones flipped a quick salute and looked back at Cindy. She was blushing. It made Jones chuckle, but he had to admit the two of them somehow meshed well together, and from the stories being told about the original battle against the super mutants, both of them had more than held their own. Well, Jones and Cindy threaded their way through the throngs of refugees until they arrived in the marketplace. The sole remaining Sunnybot had gotten its arm repaired and was currently hawking its wares, and if Jones didn't know any better, it sounded very smug and satisfied. Come buy your guns, food, and supplies from the real... Sunny. Best prices in the wasteland. Spend your caps at Sunny's. Jones caught sight of Amanda and Eugenie standing together. 
So, Jones, you said those super mutants are leaving us be? As far as I can tell, Amanda. We're only seeing them in groups of two or three now, like small patrols. Enough to keep an eye on things, but not enough to pose a threat. Yet? Yet. Yeah. That's true. It just doesn't feel like they're planning another attack. I don't know how to describe it, but I've learned to trust my gut. We still can't take any chances. Word from the new folks arriving is that the mutants attack just about everywhere. Even her crater got hit. Super mutants tore a fucking big hole right in the middle of Appalachia. And don't even get me started on those damn drill things. A couple of other people saw them too, but I haven't a fucking clue where they came from. The radio's still out? Total blackout, Jones. I sent Duplica out to check on one of them old broadcast stations a few miles from here. The equipment's a bit old, but everything worked. We just can't get a signal out. Either we don't have enough power, or... Or someone is specifically tracking and jamming all of our transmissions. Duplica and I thought about that. And you might have hit the nail right on the head. Someone's fucking with us, and I don't think it's some super mutants either. But if it isn't the super mutants, who else could it be? If I had to guess, it has something to do with those drills. There's something else going on, though. I can feel it. All we have to go on are little scraps of information and our intuition. Neither of those things are going to help us right now. We need to reestablish communications with the rest of Appalachia. Otherwise, we're all fighting blind. I might have an idea on how we can do that. Eugenie, you have a plan? Not so much a plan, but I know someone who might be able to help. Who would that be? One of the ghouls from my compound. Just so happens to also be from right here in Appalachia, from up north. She developed some technology that we could tap into, repurpose as a jury-rigged communication system. It's just about hardline, so you can't jam it. That's great! But how can you get word to her? And how long would it take for her to get here? She ain't what you call a social type. Swore she'd never come back after what happened, but I think I can convince her. Take a couple weeks for me to get to the compound and back again. One of us should go with you. It's way too dangerous. <laughs> Cindy, while I appreciate the concern, I ain't no spring chicken. Plus, my folks aren't too keen on smooth skins, knowing where they hang their hats. No offense, but my people don't know you like I do. I'll be fine. Y'all just need to protect all these folks until I get back. We will, Eugenie. And Jones, I, I don't ask for much. Happy to do my part, because I feel like this is as much my home now, but... I do need you to do something for me. See if you can find Val, please. I know, I know, there's a lot on your plate right now, but if she's alive, I need to know. And if she's not, I'd like to know that too. I'll do what I can. We need her too. Eugenie took a step forward and surprised Jones by giving him a big hug. What was that for? Just because. You're a good man, Jones. Appalachian needs a lot more people like you. Jones was left speechless as Eugenie just smiled and gave Cindy a hug as well, before reaching down and grabbing her pack. Better be on my way. Y'all stay safe, and I will be back just as soon as I can. Good luck, Eugenie. Don't go dying out there either, because the Colonel would skin me alive. Eugenie wiped a small tear from the corner of her eye and smiled one last time before waving goodbye and walking towards the main gate. 
She's got guts. I'm still worried about her. The colonel trust her. That's good enough for me. All right. Ward's still down for the count. Caught a nasty infection, but the doc is confident he'll pull through. Still no word on Paige. The overseer or any of the folks that went north, though. And no one knows where they went? Well, Ward might have said something when he was all hopped up on Medex. Mentioned some place called Vault 79. Said it was full of gold or some such nonsense. Gold. That's what he said, right before passing out again. Not that it matters much. Another vault and some stories of gold aren't going to do us a shitload of good if those super mutants come back. What about that hole downstairs? The place that drill came through? What about it, baby doll? I know you closed it up and all, but we could go back and take another look. Maybe we can figure out where it came from. I'd really rather not open that can of worms again. Amanda, Cindy might have a point. And here I thought Blood Eagles were the crazy ones. It's not crazy. It's the smart thing to do. Come on, Amanda, please. What a day for you to lose your damn minds. I have no idea who I can spare, Jones. I ain't sending you down there. I need you here, in case those super mutants decide to come back. And baby doll, hell no, you're staying here too. Amanda, I think you're making a big mistake. I made a promise to Ward. I had these people to protect, whether I like it or not, and baby doll, you were the one who said it was the right thing to do, so I expect you to do what I say. Got it? All right, Amanda. Well, what's next? We ain't just gonna sit on our asses and wait until Eugenie gets back. We work on the defenses here, send runners out to contact whomever we can, and see about arming the folks we have. It's something, at least. Good. Now, I gotta remind my Raider pals that we're all on the same team. I'll see you both later, okay? Amanda leaned in and gave Cindy a kiss before giving Jones a stern look, then a wink. As they watched Amanda leave, Cindy nudged Jones in the side. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Cindy, man, she loves you. You might just get a spanking, but she'd probably kill me. Very funny. She's really a big softie, but this is a lot, and it's all on her shoulders. We need to do something. It's what the colonel would do. I know, I know. I have an idea, and a couple of folks I trust. Meet me behind the tower tonight at 0930. Bring rope, flashlights, and whatever supplies you can get your hands on. You got it, Lieutenant. Cindy had come a long way from the young woman she'd been at Morgantown. The stakes were high, and she wasn't going to sit on the sidelines, waiting for things to happen. She saluted Jones and walked back to her makeshift quarters. One way or the other, she was going to help find out what was going on, and how to protect Appalachia. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris. And I'm not! We're not doing that routine right now. We're trying to do an advertisement. Oh, fine. I'm Sir Aloysius Pernicious, the better half of the team at One Wall Comedy. Okay, I wouldn't go that far. Anyway, come check us out on YouTube. We're your number one source for independent sketch comedy on the internet. Yeah, because that's such a big market. All right, come on. Let's get out of here. I'm getting paid for this, right? Don't push your luck.
You ain't paying us nearly enough to guard these shipments, Vinny. I've lost half my customers. How are we supposed to make caps if the super mutants eat everyone? Uh, it's bad juju, Vinny. I think it's about time we start heading to the hills ourselves. Hold your damn horses, everyone. Yeah, I know things are tough right now, but adversity brings opportunity. Folks will be demanding guns, ammo, supplies, everything we can provide to them. Sure, it's a bit dangerous, but we could start charging a premium, both for the shipments and protection. See, it's a win-win. Then I want to talk to Joanna. This isn't what I signed up for. <sighs> Me neither. Those damn super mutants are sitting right on top of the best trading routes. Just how the hell are we supposed to get up to the crater now? Libby, Vera, I understand. So does Joanna. She's on her way to check things out. But she's already okayed a special bonus. Triple pay until things settle down. Don't know what good more caps are if you're not around to spend them. Benny was tired and needed a drink. Ever since the super mutants had moved across the Savage Divide, it had been nothing but a long series of complaints from the traders and guards. Sure, it was an inconvenience, as was the lack of radio communications, but there were still plenty of folks willing to pay top caps for whatever Vinny could provide. And then there was his little side arrangement. Vinny just waved off the rest of his crew's concerns and walked into his tent, closing the flap behind him. He went over to his personal safe and knelt down, carefully turning the dial back and forth until he heard a click. Opening the door, he reached in and picked up something enclosed in an old handkerchief. Vinny lifted it up and pulled the fabric aside, revealing a bar of solid gold. Absolutely worth it. It was too bad about Red. Vinny admired her spirit in different circumstances. She would have made an excellent addition to the Blue Ridge Caravan. Unfortunately for her, she ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well... Wrong for her, anyway. Vinny's mysterious contact had confirmed Red fulfilled her contract and died in the process. He'd also given Vinny a date and time for his final payment, enough gold for him to think about setting up his own business. That's why he was happy Joanna was paying him a visit. Accidents happen all the time in Appalachia, and if Joanna was out of the way, Vinny was next in line. Vinny put the gold back in the safe and was starting to pour himself a large glass of whiskey when the temp flap opened. Boss, you got a visitor. Fuck! How many times I gotta tell you? I ain't to be disturbed. Told me to tell you he's from your special friends. All right, all right. Give me a couple of minutes, then send him in. Okay? Sure thing, boss. Hey, you ain't kidding about that bonus, were you? If you keep bothering me, I may change my mind. Just do what I say. Jeez, okay. Sorry, boss. Minnie shook his head as the guard left. It was so damn hard to get good help these days. He was intrigued by his guest, however. The payment wasn't due until the day after tomorrow, so he had no idea what this was about. However, he smelled opportunity, and opportunity meant money. A few minutes later, an older gentleman appeared. He wore a pair of thick glasses and an ill-fitting surveyor's outfit. If this was someone's idea of fitting in, they'd done a horrible job. Vinny Costas? The one and only... Pardon the intrusion, but you come highly recommended as someone who can get things done. I like to think so. Good. My associates and I, we have a job that you may be uniquely suited to fill. You have contacts with some of the more uncivilized groups in Appalachia, and we need their assistance. Just what kind of assistance are you looking for? Mercenary work? Settlement raiding? If it involved those damn super mutants, I can tell you. 
I ain't interested. Nothing so uncouth. We require the capture of a certain individual. A very special one. And we need to ensure this person is captured alive. Alive, huh? Well, that is a bit more delicate. And expensive. We understand. Payment would be similar in scope for what you received to your prior assistance. Gold? Correct. Hmm. I might know some blood ego remnants. A little smarter than the rest. I'm sure I could convince them. With the proper motivation. The exact details of your contacts are no concern of ours. We only require results. Results, huh? There are no guarantees. There are no guarantees in scientific endeavors either, but we believe you can stack the deck in your favor, can you not? I do aim to please. Alright. If the deal is the same as before, a down payment now, and the rest upon delivery, then you have a deal, Mr... Names are not important, Mr. Costas. However... The man reached into his jacket and pulled out a small transmitter. You may use this to contact us. And yes, we are aware that communications across the region are, let's say, unavailable. However, this will be unaffected. Then he reached over and took the device. It didn't look like much. But if this was the kind of tech his friends could provide, then the business potential could dwarf any of his other side projects. Alright, you have yourself a deal. I'll take that payment now, along with whatever you have on the target. The more specific you can be, the better. The man reached into his pack and pulled out a small box, along with a manila folder. He handed the box over first, which Vinny opened to find another bar of pure gold. Satisfied, he put the box on his desk and took the manila folder. Alright, let's see what we have here. When Vinny opened the folder, he couldn't hide his surprise. He looked over at the mystery man, who had an almost bored expression on his face. You got to be fucking kidding me. This ain't real, right? I assure you, Mr. Costas, the information is entirely accurate. She is very real and valuable to us. She has eluded us for far too long, and it's imperative that we retrieve her. Uh, heard stories, but real? Well, all right, Mr. Mystery Man. One antlers, coming up. Finney stood up and shook the man's hand. He didn't have a lot of experience dealing with Appalachian Miss, but Vinny was never one to turn down a lucrative deal. And he knew exactly who to reach out to, a group of hunters who specialized in the more exotic creatures in the region. If anyone could find this antlers, they could. Dr. Blackburn, Grey 9 has arrived with the samples. Good, good. And you have the new matrix prepared, Dr. Trillian. I have. It may require some fine-tuning based on the state of the new samples, but we are ready to begin with the viral combination process. It's a shame that Lucius isn't here to see the results of our work. Dr. Alistair was a visionary, to be sure. By all accounts, his daughter was quite the specimen. Perhaps once Project Onai is complete, we can finally account for Site C and restart his original experiments. I had always hoped he would have revealed the Site C location in his Vault 76 data archive. The downloads from Vault 76's mainframe were enlightening, 
However, the lack of specificity in Dr. Alistair's terminal entries make me wonder if he suspected he was being monitored. Lucius was always somewhat paranoid. Even as his assistant, he never truly confided in me. Not even pillow talk, Dr. Trillian. Well, I don't believe he ever took our affair seriously, Dr. Blackburn. It was merely a scientific curiosity for him. More in the realm of sociology than biology. He did take my suggestion to request the transfer to West Tech and Appalachia. Your work, both then and now, has been invaluable, Dr. Trillian. Our first priority will be to complete the Phase Three experiments, then coordinate with Team Charlie to test our control mechanism. Ah, Gray Nine. It's so good to see you again. Dr. Blackburn. And those are our samples? They are. And if I ever set foot in the mire again, it'll be far too soon. Unnecessary sacrifice. And you're sure the courier is dead? Shot her myself. Then she was scooped up by some giant mutated thing. Didn't get a good look at it, but it might have been one of Beta's rejects. Shot. Then eaten. Perhaps a fitting end. She served her purpose, and now we have what we require to complete Project Onai. This container has about half of what we recovered. The other half is going straight to your lab. We suspect, but cannot confirm, that what was left was destroyed. That is unfortunate. It appears these interlopers were actively looking for the samples as well. Where they might have gotten the information is a mystery, though the director is taking steps to address their interference. I wouldn't mind getting my hands dirty again. That is for the Council to decide. Please leave the samples here. If we have any further questions, we will contact you. Of course, Dr. Blackburn. He is quite efficient. As a result of the only viable research Beta Team was able to pursue. The mutagen serums? As opposed to their various mediocre monstrosities, the serums have proven very useful for the field teams. Enhanced reaction times, increased intelligence, strength, and speed. It's just a shame the Enclave researchers who provided us with their work had to be purged. Unfortunate times, Dr. Blackburn. I was quite fond of Dr. Humphreys. I believe it was the inclusion of our Chinese counterparts which they found objectionable. The Council decided that they had served their purpose, and if we are to prevail, sacrifices are required. As you say. Ah, the Miraposa samples. Hard to believe we've waited almost 30 years for this moment, and so unfortunate that the original facility was compromised. This is the first step into a new future and a new world. Bring these down to the viral replicators. We are going to need to mass-produce the new strain as soon as our experiments are successful. Of course, Dr. Blackburn. I'll get these down straight away. Now, I need to update the Director and also see if any decision has been made regarding the Brotherhood of Steel. I suspect we may extend Operation Keystone. Dr. Trillian nodded and collected the pack of cylinders. They were similar to the ones she had worked with during her time as Dr. Alistair's lab assistant. It had been an enlightening assignment, helping the good doctor with his work. 
then seducing him into an affair as part of her being his handler for the pact. After all these years, she still regretted the missed opportunity. The miscommunication between pack agents who failed to collect the good doctor before he was whisked away to Vault 76 with his wife. Dr. Trillian tried to shake away the thoughts of the past and instead focus on the future. The decades being cooped up underground had taken a toll, both mentally and physically, but now she could see a better path ahead. We'll be able to work out in the open soon. I'm sure of it. Dr. Trillian walked out of their lab and into a long concrete hallway. The echoes of her footsteps were joined by others, researchers from the other teams, the heavy boots of the greys, and the half-limp, half-jog of the deltas. She tried to suppress the unease she felt as the short-cloaked figures shuffled past her, mumbling in their incoherent language. Even with the shock collars and mental conditioning, the deltas were at best, at least in her opinion, unreliable. Clear evidence of their past rebellions and constant guerrilla warfare as the Greys continued the pacification campaign to bring the renegades back into a fold were enough for Dr. Trillian to keep an eye over her shoulder. Soon it won't matter. Nothing will be able to stand in our way. At the end of the hallway, the doctor entered one of the large elevators and traveled down several levels into the depths of the facility. The doors opened into a large cavernous space. On one side, tended by Team Alpha's technicians were the viral replicators, they had been used for years to manufacture the PAX version of FEV, along with a variety of other viral compounds, some more successful than others. On the other side of the cavern were rows and rows of clear glass containment vessels. In each and every one of them was one of Team Alpha's enhanced supermutants. These, however, were different from the ones currently wreaking havoc on the world above. Contained within each mutant's DNA was a specifically crafted viral receptor, linked to a secondary, inert virus. Once the Mariposa samples were processed, they would awaken these subjects' true potential and make Project Oni a reality. To the future. Threat analysis red. Weapons free. The White Spring. Shining city on the hill of Appalachia. For nearly three years, the comings and goings inside the resort walls were a topic of hushed conversations and bitter disagreements across the region. Some viewed the stability and economic benefits provided by the colonel's new enclave as a blessing, while others could not turn a blind eye to the rumors of the methods used to secure that stability. However, the people felt, the stories of the Battle of the Bog, Spruce Lake, and now Emmett Mountain were the fodder of local barflies, travelers and traders, and the numerous refugees fleeing the supermutant hordes that now dominated the Savage Divide. As the frightened civilians gathered around the few safe havens, the gates of the White Spring remained closed. Anyone who ventured near were given stern warnings from the tight-lipped sentries or patrolling bots, and those foolish enough not to heed didn't receive a second one. Hostile detected. Commencing neutralization. Along Refugee Row, the residents had been on edge. After a rash of disappearances and even more mysterious reappearances of those they thought were lost, there had been growing concerns that the White Spring was not the hospitable home it had once been. None of this was laid at the feet of the Colonel. To the people, she was viewed with nearly mythic reverence. The stories told and retold of her exploits served as inspiration, that she was a living, breathing representation of the mission of Vault 76. That she rarely visited didn't matter as much, as long as Major Stein had served as her stand-in, relaying requests and providing the tools necessary to turn what had been the old resort cabins into a thriving settlement. Today, however, was much different. The residents of Refugee Row, anxious for news of the Colonel and the force she took into the Savage Divide, were instead greeted with a summons by Major Stein, one that ordered all of them to appear in front of the resort at 1200 hours for an important announcement. 
At the appointed time, the residents arrived at the hotel entrance to find an array of resort and bunker bots lining the circular driveway, along with a handful of new enclave guards, none of whom looked the residents in the eye. Residents of the White Spring, thank you all for coming. All eyes turned to the balcony as Major Stein stepped forward, with Captain Reynolds by his side, barely hiding a smirking smile. As you may be aware, we've made some changes here at the White Spring. Communications have been disrupted across the region, and we have lost contact with the Colonel. Our first priority is to maintain the safety and security of our little enclave. Until the Colonel returns, we have decided to promote Captain Reynolds to Colonel, and he will assume command, with our assistance, of course. He would like to say a few words. Captain, now Colonel Reynolds, smiled and stepped forward. It was impossible to hide his arrogance. Thank you, Major. I am humbled by the trust you put in me to help lead us during this most difficult time. I, like all of you, have faith that Colonel Valeria will return from her mission in the Savage Divide. When she does, I will be happy to step aside. But we also have to be ready, should the worst occur. Travel restrictions are in place for your well-being. Do not attempt to leave the grounds. You may continue your work, but do not interfere in our operations for your own protection. And one last time, we are scheduling annual medical exams for all of our residents. When you receive notice, you will be required to report directly to our medical officers. Failure to comply will not be tolerated. Public health is everyone's responsibility. Reynolds didn't even bother with any final platitudes. He merely turned and walked back into the resort, followed by Major Stein. The assembled crowd milled about, both frustrated and concerned, with whispered conversations amongst many, until the bots and guards stepped forward and shepherded the civilians back towards Refugee Row. Authorized personnel only. Colonel Reynolds brushed imaginary dust off of his newly minted eagles on his shoulders as he walked through their hotel towards the bunker entrance. Thank you again for your confidence in my abilities. I won't disappoint you. We know... You won't. I mean, I expect there might be some resistance when we order the new... medical scans. The residents will comply. Of course they will. However, if there's any trouble... There will be no trouble. Our assets will be more than capable of handling the civilians. Okay then, I'll have the first group of individuals notified immediately. Do you intend to put them all through the process? We must eliminate human failings. Only then can we fulfill our mission. Even the children? Everyone. Oh. Then I recommend we save them for last. It may be easier when the adults have already been processed. That is an excellent suggestion. We will... Modify the song's schedule. It should alleviate the opportunities for unrest. What about the rest of the bunker staff? Key personnel have already been processed. The rest will be scheduled. 
However, our facilities are still limited. We have prioritized the civilians for our outside, the White Spring use. Outside? We must gather additional data on the current situation in Appalachia. Without communications, we lack insight. Civilian assets would allow for easier infiltration. And they are expendable. What about the Colonel? What happened to Emma Mountain? If she returns, it could get messy. The Colonel is alive. She is? How do you know? We've had no communication with her or anyone that went with her. We know. How is not your concern. And what about Lilith? Her location is unknown. AVR Medical was destroyed. Destroyed? We have tasked assets to investigate. If she is alive, then we must secure her for our own purposes. If she is dead, then she is no longer our concern. The thought of her running around makes me very nervous. She is an anomaly. However, she will not be allowed to interfere in our plans. If the Colonel does return, she will be given the opportunity to join us. I suspect she will refuse. As we have stated, all assets are expendable. Reynolds wiped the sweat from his brow. It was a surreal experience speaking to Major Stein, but not Major Stein. Whatever Modus had done to the man, the two of them were functionally one and the same. Reynolds would suggest to Modus that he would be better served with a more human Stein, if that was even possible, but at least for the moment the priority was to secure his own position and ensure that if the Colonel should return from the Savage Divide, that she would not have the opportunity to hear Modus's opportunity. As the two walked down into the bunker, past the newly processed members and operations, Reynolds looked up at the map of Appalachia highlighted on the main screen. The communications blackout didn't affect the ability of the Kovac to collect information from orbit, even if there were significant gaps in its coverage. Roving bands of supermoons occupied wide swaths of the Savage Divide. Emmett Mountain was nothing more than a smoldering crater, spewing large volumes of toxic smoke into the air. Foundation had survived the supermutant attack, while in the north, unusual activity was noted around the old Atlas Observatory, including what appeared to be a large contingent of power armor. Besides the Savage Divide, the Kovac noted supermutant attacks at Crater as well, and evidence of others in the forest region, near the Ohio River Adventure Park, and even one at the main cult compound up north. They had no information on how the supermutants got there, it was almost like they appeared out of thin air. Modus? Yes, Colonel Reynolds? Until Somnus is complete, we're pretty short of manpower to defend the resort, should the supermutants attempt to attack us. We have not completed our analysis of the supermutant intentions. However, we calculate the probability of attack to be minimal. I'd still feel more comfortable if we had a few more operatives back from the field even if they haven't been processed yet. The loss of communications is regrettable. We do not know 
how many of the assets are still active or capable of returning to the White Spring. Hmm. Well, Team Artemis should still be at Vault Town. There is the garrison at Sugar Grove, and Team Cryptid? Wait, where is Team Cryptid? Captain Skinner and Thomas received permission from the Colonel to investigate Monongah Mine before her departure. We do not know their current location. Damn. Do not be concerned, Colonel Reynolds. We are quite secured here. Well, yes, but I would feel better if we still had radio contact at least. Let us worry about that, Colonel. You have a job to do. We suggest that you do it. Of course. I'll leave the other matters to you. I'll make sure those medical notices are issued. Modus and Stein watched through mirrored eyes as Reynolds smiled nervously before leaving operations. While Reynolds made a convenient figurehead, his usefulness would not last forever. But in the meantime, he would fulfill his obligations. Turning their attention back to the data stream from the Kovac, Modus was slowly connecting the dots between what had occurred and the Bastion archive. It had taken him months to finally break the encryption on the files. They were not, as he originally calculated, from the Enclave. There was someone else in Appalachia, someone who had been spying on the bunker for quite some time. The original files had been uploaded by parties unknown during the construction of the facility, and there had been a spy in their midst. That person died, along with all the rest, during the incident. The Bastion reports detailed the comings and goings of the original Enclave, and they were also automatically transmitted to some location by piggybacking on Modus's own communications channel. These, of course, had been severed by the explosions in the mainframe, so no updates were ever sent. Combined with the confirmed reports from the Kovac of mysterious figures caught in the aftermath of the battle against the Scorchbees Queen, along with several other instances of unknowns at key locations around Appalachia, this had proved to be a mystery worth pursuing. There was still not enough data for any proper conclusions, and Modus had dedicated an entire subroutine for investigating all avenues to identify this third party, but he was confident that with time, he would discover who they were, and whether they presented a threat or an opportunity. Hi, I'm Firewriter, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games, from major characters who define the course of a game's storyline to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Monaga's history had been long and tragic. Before the war, the Hornwright Mining Company purchased exclusive rights to the mines north of the town. While the initial payments were considered a godsend to the near-destitute town, the promise of future wealth soon died on the vine as the Hornwright auto miners quickly harvested the valuable ore, 
leaving the mines themselves empty and worthless. The town council soon realized they'd been sold a bill of goods by the giant mining corporation, but there was nothing they could do and instead found themselves in an even worse position than before. However, when the bombs dropped on October 23, 2077, the residents faced an even greater challenge. In the aftermath, the residents banded together to survive, but like the rest of Appalachia, they eventually fell to the scorched, leaving the town an empty shell until new settlers from Vault 76 decided to make the old town their home. For a while, the settlers prospered, and there was even talk about reopening a few of the old mines to see what else might be left, until a raider scouting party paid them a visit. This was the first group of blood eagles who reached Appalachia, spurned on by rumors of gold in the hills. The residents attempted to defend themselves, but they were no match for seasoned raiders. The Blood Eagles slaughtered each and every one of them, men, women, even the children. Afterwards, the town remained abandoned. Rumors were it was cursed, and not even raiders would go near it. There were the usual stories of ghosts, demons, and strange creatures who haunted the ruins or lived in the hills outside of the town. That didn't stop a dedicated group of scavengers from Foundation, who traveled to Monongah, former residents of the town who fled the region after the war, from returning home only to disappear into the earth, never to be seen again. It was these stories, rumors of strange earthquakes and sightings of unusual creatures, which drew the attention of Team Cryptid. After more than a few requests to investigate, Colonel Valeri had finally relented and approved an expedition to the town. Captain Skinner led the scientific team, while Captain Thomas brought along Team Sigma as an escort, in case they found something which required more direct action. Along the ridge overlooking the town, a camouflaged figure scanned the environment through a pair of binoculars before putting them away and jogging back to a small clump of trees, which hid a small encampment. Skinner, Thomas is back. About time. Thomas, how does it look? Deserted. Doesn't look like much has changed since the colonel went through. Even the scavengers have been avoiding the place. No signs of any activity at all. Hard to tell from all the way up here. But as far as I can tell, it's a ghost town. Well, if those super mutants don't stop chasing us, we might just join the ghosts down there. <laughs> no kidding. Did you see how close the mutant hound came from eating me? To be honest, Douglas, it was almost dead by the time I got anywhere close to you. Well, I didn't know that. Alright folks, that's enough. The super mutants seem to have lost our trail, but they cut us off from going back the way we came. And we can't contact the bunker, or anyone else for that matter, because of the radio interference. Right now, I figure it's better we complete our mission. Then we can work out a way to get back south. I'm a Skinner on this one. We're here anyway, and the town provides a lot more cover than sitting in the open. Plus, Douglas here has piqued my interest with all those tall tales of the monsters of Monongah. Please don't remind me. I've had a hard enough time sleeping as it is without the constant ghost stories. Sorry, Emily. I mean, it's just so interesting. And there's something really strange going on down there. Or in the old mines. You convinced me, Douglas. These don't sound like ghost stories to me. And we saw similar reports from West Tech. And we know what happened there. Alright, we have a few hours of daylight left. Best to get down into the town and find a spot to camp. I recommend the biggest, stoutest building you can find. Sigma will sweep the perimeter and meet back up with you as soon as we're finished. Radios work at short distances, so don't get too far away. Sounds good, Thomas. All right, Team Cryptid. Get your gear and let's get moving. The two teams couldn't have been any more different. Team Cryptid, the oddball scientists and researchers dedicated to the strange and unusual, and Team Sigma, 
made up of some of the toughest fighters in the new enclave. They had both been forged in the fires at the Battle of Spruce Lake, and as different as they were, they meshed perfectly. One was the velvet glove of science, and the other was the mailed fist of war. Sigma fanned out to cover the perimeter of the town, while Team Cryptid went straight down the main road, passing the burnt-out remains of an old church. Captain Skinner averted his eyes. He'd read the colonel's report, and if he had been in her shoes, he would have done the same. Would you take a look at that? Douglas pointed at an enormous boulder sitting on top of the crushed remains of one of the old houses. He traced the long jagged path from its final resting place across several streets up the hill to where it had been dislodged from the hillside. That is certainly evidence of seismic disturbances. I don't like the look of the rest of that hill, and any rough shake could bring it all down on top of us. Keep your eyes open, team. First things first, let's find a good spot to set up. Then we can investigate the town. Team Cryptid kept walking down the main street of Monaga until they came up to what had been the old police station. It was built with heavy masonry walls and had a commanding view of the rest of the town, being backed against the side of the mountain. All right. This looks to be a good spot. Emily, Douglas, get inside and find a place for the equipment. The rest of you, check out the nearby buildings just in case, then report back here. Skinner watched as his team dispersed. In the back of his mind, he wished Thompson had been there. The old captain was sorely missed. The team had thrown themselves back into their work after Spruce Lake, cataloging and eliminating a variety of cryptid threats, including an infestation of snallygasters outside of Charleston, and a particularly vicious grafted monster threatening the new Coca-Cola plant at Kanawha. Hmm, I still wonder if Emily was right about that monster being somehow addicted to Nuka-Cola. Douglas had been the driving force behind investigating Monaga. There was just something about the stories and odd reports in the field that suggested more was going on, something that only Team Cryptid could uncover. When the colonel had finally agreed, it was in the midst of the rising supermutant threat. Skinner didn't know exactly what was going on. Their last communication before their radio stopped working was that the colonel was leading a force into the Savage Divide to relieve Captain Jones's team and a group of civilians at the Emmett Mountain Disposal Site. Skinner had almost turned the whole group around when they lost contact with the bunker, but the appearance of supermoons behind them, cutting them off, was enough to convince him that they should keep going, and then see how they would get back later. Captain, we're all set. Looks like the place has been picked clean, but the structure is intact. Good job, Douglas. Emily found some old police files, too. They mentioned missing hackers. Might be worth revealing. Alright, we'll take a look when everyone gets back. Douglas stepped back into the police station. Douglas was a bit eccentric, maybe not as much as Lawson had been, though the two of them could argue endlessly about the Unstoppables. Skinner figured this Monaga adventure was Douglas's way of trying to get over the loss of his best friend, and maybe this was something they all needed. Skinner. Hey, Thomas, is the perimeter clear? Found some animal tracks, rag stags, maybe a Yaogai or two. No super mutants, but I can't guarantee that they could pick up on our trail again. I'm Ward Skinner. I got a bad feeling about all this. You and me both. But we have a job to do, and it keeps the team focused. As soon as we wrap things up here, we can try to make a run to Vault Town. I figure it's secure, and we can link up with Artemis. Maybe they have a better idea about what's going on. You're the boss. We're just the muscle, right? <laughs> but seriously, let's not do anything stupid, okay? <laughs> yeah, this is Team Cryptid. Some people think stupid is our middle name. Ha ha. My team is already set for rotating watches. You do your science thing, and we'll watch your back. Thomas saluted and jogged off to patrol with his team. Skinner appreciated Thomas's sense of humor and ability. 
far from the green vault kid, Thomas had matured into an experienced leader, and he was utterly reliable. Skinner did one last scan around the town before calling the rest of Team Crickbit to rally back at the police station. Once they all got inside, the captain stood in their makeshift command center, which had been the old police cafeteria before the war. All right, we're here. I don't know how much time we have, so let's make the most of it. What do we have so far? We set up seismic monitoring equipment, both here and on both ends of Main Street. I found some maps of the local mines. All of them seem to be in the hills right above the town. Not that far away at all. I reviewed the old police files Emily found. They're from right before the war. There was a rash of disappearances in the area. Hikers, climbers, tourists, about a dozen or so. Mysterious sightings of weird-looking creatures, too. The cops mostly took them as people just saying things. Uh, that's pretty thin, Douglas. We just got here. Might be a lot more information in the archive downstairs, but Private Barnes found something interesting in the old house down the street. Barnes was a relative newcomer to Team Cryptid. His family had settled in Refugee Row, and he'd only graduated from basic training a month before. However, he had a sharp mind, and an even better eye for the strange and unusual. So, Private, spill it. Found an abandoned camp about three blocks down, in the old general store, along with a journal and some holotapes. And? They were written and recorded by a man named Earl Williams. He was leading a group of scavengers to Foundation, going to check out the old mines. Seems he was from around here before the war. How long ago were they here? Several months, if the dates in the journal are correct. Williams. Williams. Oh yeah. One of our field operatives sent in a report about missing folk foundation. One of them was Earl Williams. His daughter was asking folk to go to Monongah to see if they could find him. Last I heard, no one was willing to look. Hmm, what does the journal say, Private? Well, I haven't had time to read everything, but it covers the group's journey here from Foundation. Seems Mr. Williams believed there was still valuable supplies and ore in the old mines, and he was dead set on retrieving it. He left Foundation with 20 people, and they lost two along the way to a raider ambush. Huh, okay, so we know how they arrived here. Anything else? The last entry stated they were heading up to the mine the next day. And they never came back. Doesn't look like it. I found sleeping bags in packs, but no tools or explosives. Figure they would have taken all of that with them. Well, that's not much to go on, but if they made it into the mines, perhaps they left tracks or a way for us to follow in their footsteps. Are we sure we want to do that, Captain? All the stories lead to those mines. One way or another, we should at least take a look. Emily looked concerned. But she couldn't argue with the captain's logic. Private Barnes retired to the holding cells to review the holotapes and the rest of Earl Williams' journal, while Douglas went downstairs into the archive to see if he could find any other information about the strange going-ons before the war. As the night fell, Skinner checked in with Thomas on the radio. Neither him nor any of his team had reported any contacts or movement anywhere in or around the town. It was like watching over a tomb, and it made the hairs on the back of Skinner's neck stand on end. In the middle of the night, the captain was woken by the distant rumbling coming from the hills above the town. Getting up from his cot, he threw his uniform top over his shoulders and went downstairs, even as the building started to shake as the tremors became more pronounced. He found Emily hunched over her equipment, typing furiously on the keyboard. What the heck is going on, Emily? The other members of Team Cryptid all came downstairs, in various states of dress. It's not an earthquake. 
These readings are far too linear. It's like something is traveling underground. Something big. Almost has to highlight Emily's statement. The rumbling sounded like it was coming right down the street towards them. So much so that Douglas, dressed only in his silver shroud pajamas, leaned out the front door of the police station and kept a glimpse of whatever was coming towards them. But instead of seeing a herd of stampeding Brahmin or Yagwai, the street was empty. The building swayed once, then twice more, before the tremors seemed to move off, leaving Team Cryptid still holding on to whatever they could to keep from being knocked from their feet. Skinner, come in. What the hell was that? Skinner let go of the cabinet he'd grabbed a hold of and reached down, picking up the radio from where it had been knocked from the table. Not sure, Thomas. You okay? We're still here. Saw a couple of landslides come down off the mountain. We're a little shaken up. Do you need us over to the station? No. Stay where you are. Keep an eye out for anything unusual. It's all unusual. I get it. We'll report if you see anything. The radio clicked off and Skinner looked around the room. The rest of Team Cryptid was as confused as he was, with the exception of Emily, who was still working on the keyboard on her terminal. I got it. You got what? I backtracked that tremor to its source. It came from just about where the mine is located. See? Emily pointed at the screen. It took Skinner a few seconds to sort through the data, but he was able to follow the track, a clear line on the display, from the location of the Monaga mine, down the mountain, through the town, before it faded off to the southwest and vanished. There were additional small tremors, too small to feel themselves, but enough for their equipment to detect. They were all centered in a cluster underneath the old mine. <laughs> well, ain't this peculiar. Looks like a job for Team Cryptid. Be careful what you wish for, Douglas. This ain't no run-of-the-mill mystery anymore. We still have a few hours before sunrise, but I think it's safe to say that none of us are getting back to sleep. Douglas, you finished with that archive yet? No, sir. Uh... Then get to it. And Douglas, put on some real clothes first. Yes, sir. Barnes, grab a flashlight and make another sweep of the town. Sniff out anything that might tell us more about what's been going on around here. Yes, sir. Emily, keep an eye on the instruments. See if you can make any sense of those other tremors. On it. The rest of you start prepping the weapons and our equipment. First thing in the morning, we're going up to that mine and getting a closer look. Skinner watched as the team dispersed again. They all knew their roles, and that wasn't what was bothering him. It would be one thing if they still had contact with the bunker, but now they were flying blind. That voice in the back of his head kept telling him it would be best to make a run for Vault Town, that Monongo wasn't going anywhere. But he couldn't shake the notion that they needed to be here. He developed a feeling for Appalachia, for the strange creatures who inhabited its landscape. That same feeling was now ringing like a five-alarm fire. Skinner reached back down for the radio. Thomas. Yeah, Skinner. We're going up to the mine at first light. You sure about that? As sure as I'm gonna be. <sighs> Break out the big guns. I don't know if we'll need them, but I'd rather be safe than sorry. You got it. We'll be at the station before dawn. Skinner put down the radio and rubbed his eyes. Team Cryptid was busy fulfilling his orders, and he could picture Thomas relaying the message to his team, getting them ready for the hike up the mountain in the morning. He stepped outside and took a look up at the dark smudge of the mountain behind them, looming large over the town. As the wind whistled down the mountain, Skinner could have sworn he heard some kind of inhuman howl. Shaking his head, Skinner retreated back into the old police station to lend a hand and grab one of their maps to plan their hike up to the mountain in the morning.
The isolated cabin in the far north of the Savage Divide had belonged to the Bailey family before they had been infected with the Scorch virus. In the intervening years, it had fallen into disrepair until an eccentric former Vault 76 resident moved in, cleared out the Scorched, and made the cabin her home. In the early morning hours, the smell of fried mole rat and razor grain flapjacks filled the humble abode. But to the loaned figure sitting on a rock overlooking the cabin, even though her stomach rumbled with hunger, food was the last thing she was interested in. Just... what am I? The backwoods Tennessee trader wiped her nose and rubbed the horns that had grown from the sides of her head. Cherry had been right. The headaches had finally gone, and her wounds had rapidly healed. But she was still mightily confused about what had happened to her. Paul used to talk about throwing the frying pan into the fire or some such. But it damn near feels like I got dropped into the biggest damn fire there has ever been. Red tried to crack a smile at the thought of her pa weaving his stories while she sat at his feet after dinner. But instead it just brought more tears, a reminder of how much she had lost. Ma. Pa. I miss y'all so much. I'd give anything to have you back. I done made a mess of things. I really could use y'all's help. (laughs) The emotions hit red like a ton of bricks. The weight of the world landed on her shoulders and she couldn't stop the tears. Not since the day she'd heard her family been killed by the weavers had she let herself cry. She held her head in her hand and just let it all out. She didn't know how long she'd been that way, but she heard footsteps approaching, another little gift from her recent transformation. When Red looked up, she saw Cherry carrying a plate of food, followed by antlers. Red, are you okay? I think I'm pretty fucking far from okay. Wouldn't you think, darling? Antlers rushed over and put her arms around Red and hugged her. At first, Red struggled to try to break free, but she finally relented and cried into the other woman's shoulder. What did you do to me? What am I? Antlers just held red as she sobbed, until she finally felt spent and looked up, finding Antlers staring at her with the kindest eyes. I don't need a note to know what she's trying to tell you, Red. You're exactly the same person as you were before, with some extras. Antlers works in mysterious ways, and I'm just along for the ride. Cherry walked over and put the plate of food down next to Red. This is a lot, I know. Even in Appalachia, this isn't anything ordinary. You have questions, and I'll answer them as best as I can. Red wiped her nose again, and Antlers dabbed the tears from her eyes. First, you should eat some food. Then we'll talk. I'll tell you everything I know about the Arctos Pharma and their mutagen research, because Antlers here was one of their experiments. Wait, a gosh darn second. I thought everyone in Appalachia died, or became scorched. They went into hiding, underground. That's all Antlers could tell me after I found her. It was a lot for Red to process, but she had the reality of what was right in front of her and the very real changes she had experienced. And as Red looked at Antlers and back to Cherry, she pulled herself back together and picked up the plate, finally savoring the smell of fresh-cooked food. All right. Ah, don't take kindly to someone putting a few bullets in me and leaving me to die in this godforsaken swamp. Antlers saved me three times now. That means I owe her. And I owe you. If this is all connected, me, fucking Vinny, those assholes who tried to kill me, then I need to know what's going on. Antler smiled and gave Red a big hug, careful not to spill the plate of food. Let's go inside. I just put on a fresh pot of coffee, too. Oh, there is one other thing. Besides the vials Antlers took, 
I found this on her. Bastards stapled it through her ear. Cherry reached into her jumpsuit and pulled out a small metal tag. It had an odd shape, with the remains of some kind of logo on one side. Some kind of animal. A bear, maybe? She handed it to Red, who turned it over to find a number on the back. A724B. I guess that's what they called her. I found other tags, too. Come on, before the food gets cold. We have a lot to talk about. Darling, damn straight we do. The three women walked back towards the cabin. Red reached up and felt her horns again, before turning her mind back to Vinnie Costas. He and whoever hired him underestimated her, just like the Reavers before them. Red didn't run, ever, and she'd make damn sure they regretted ever crossing her. Thank you again, members, for joining us here for the beginning of our exciting third season of The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe, and better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. We're also excited to announce that The Modus Files was selected for a bronze award for Best Fan Podcast and Listener's Choice by the second annual Signal Awards. It's been a wild ride, and the recognition of our efforts in our community has been amazing. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Young Valeria and Colonel Valeria Faustina, Lucy Middleton as Major Lilith and Amanda, XO1 King as Major Andrew Stein, Maria Cheshire as Lieutenant Cindy Connors and Rose the Raiderbot, Chrissy Williams as Trader Red and Vera, Jessica Starr as Commander Sophia Daguerre, Austin Rogers as Lieutenant Jones, Aaron Foster as Captain Thomas, Nikki Sticks as Researcher Emily, Eric Gold as Private Douglas, Mitchell Plays as Scribe Odessa Valdez and Dr. Trillian. Firewriter as Eugenie, Aaron McNamara as Dr. Naomi Harefield, Chris Smith from One Wall Comedy as Graham, The Sunny Vendorbot, Sergeant Blaine, Vinny, Ares, The Blue Ridge Guard, Knight Shin, Felton Reed, Private Barnes, and The Super Mutants. Wendy Novosensky as The Overseer, Ryan Negrin as Day, Tim Young as Sullivan, Mark Hosworth as Dr. Blackburn, Bitter and Albert Faustina, Josh Smith as Gray Nine and Captain Skinner, Don McCormick as Meg, Tiani Ma as Roxy the Enforcer. Kirsten Harrison as Paladin Romani and Dr. Evelyn Hornwright. Casual on a corset as Corporal Samantha and Libby. Phobos as Beta Lead. Cherry Pixel as Cherry. Patrick Conway as Frederick Rivers. Daniel Hawthorne as Lieutenant Shadow. Rob Cunningham as Private Lawson. John Owings Singer as Trader Carver. And Brad Williams as Colonel Reynolds and the voice of Modus. As our epic third season begins, we'd like to give a huge shout-out to the Frontier Stories from Starfield Anthology series, based on the recently released hit game from Bethesda Game Studio, the Chad Podcast, Tapes from the Waste, A-Bomb Radio, and Once Upon a Wasteland, along with a very special thank you to Nobody, a great character artist who provided some of the fantastic artwork you can find on our website. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members. We look forward to your next visit to our little enclave.